A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Right, let's travel back in time. Imagine it's 3,000 years ago and you're an ox. You're lumbering along a road, dragging a really heavy cart behind you. Huge chunks of wood for wheels, and there's a metal ring through your nose with a rope that's tied to it that your driver can use to steer you. But since you're only moving at about three miles an hour, there's not a lot of steering to be done. And in your head, you think of the hay. Oh, the hay waiting for you in your stable. Mmm, dried grass. (laughs) All seems right with the world. But wait, lo, what's that on the horizon? A cloud of dust moving fast towards you. The ground beneath you begins to rumble. Just then something shoots past in a blur of spoked wheel and glittering metal. Everything about it was so light, so elegant, so quick. And it was not being pulled by an ox like you, or an ass, or a a donkey, or even a donkey-ass hybrid, but by a pair of, well, some other animal, like an ox, four legs, but different. Maybe, Maybe it was a sports ox. You noticed, as they rushed past, that instead of nose rings, they had strange long metal bars in their mouths oh yes you begin to see red stupid bloody horses you bellow at the empty road shaking your hoof at the sky well not exactly shaking your hoof at the sky because you couldn't do that but in your ox imagination you're shaking your hoof at the sky and are really quite cross Hello and welcome once again to another episode of Patented, a podcast all about the history of inventions brought to you from History Hit. I'm Dallas Campbell. Well, (laughs) today it's all about the invention of the horse, or rather horse transport, as it were. I like horses. I love stroking horses. I like feeding horses polos. I like the soft muzzle of a horse's mouth. I enjoy chatting to them. But... As a form of transportation, I think it's quite odd. Now, I ride a motorcycle, which is not... Well, it is dissimilar to a horse, but you know what I mean. You sit on a motorcycle in the same way that you might sit on a horse. But with a motorcycle, it is predictable. The controls are predictable. Just turning the throttle means you go. And when you squeeze a handle there, it means that you brake and you change gears and you know what's going to happen. But not so with a horse. Horses pretty much do what they want to do. I'm always surprised that horses are allowed anywhere near roads. Anyway, it seems like common sense that the story of the horse transport, as it were, would begin with someone like me jumping on the back of a horse. 
But actually it doesn't. It actually starts with the technological revolution of the chariot combined with the bit and the bridle system. These were the inventions that at long last allowed humans to harness the wild power of the horse. My guest today is William Taylor, an anthropologist at the cutting edge of research into the disruptive technology that is the horse. Welcome to Patented, Mr. William Taylor. Dr. William Taylor. Hey, thanks for having me on. Horses. I'm, I'm thinking the sort of Chauvet Caves in France, for example, when you see cave paintings. You, and I've been to those caves. You, tend, you do see, there's always pictures of horses. I mean, as far as I know, all human culture, there seems to be horses involved at some point, except my own human culture, because I'm terrible with horses. I'm, I'm, I'm very bad. I got I got thrown off a horse when I was a kid. And you know that thing where they always say you must always get back on if you fall off a horse? I never did. But we do, we do have a very close connection with horses, don't we? From Neolithic times. From an archaeological lens, horses are actually perhaps the first animal with which we have concrete evidence for a very deep relationship between people and animals. And that dates to a couple of sites. One of those is in Germany, but another more recent site is actually, maybe this name means something to you, Boxgrove. It's in the United Kingdom. These earliest sites date to between half a million to a million years ago, right? And these are not Homo sapiens, right? But other early hominins that we can see very clear evidence of folks hunting them, not just hunting them though, but actually butchering. And at Boxgrove, using horses and horse materials, right, horse bones to make tools. Right. And so there's there's inferences to be drawn from that, actually, that they were removing the skin. And you can guess maybe from there that those early folks were even using horse hides, right? What they were doing them with them is, is anyone's guess. But that, that relationship with horses is incredibly ancient. As you were hinting, when we get to Homo sapiens, right, the modern humans, the last... 40,000 or so years in Europe, horses are the number one animal that you can find in cave paintings in Paleolithic Europe. And it's incredible to see that the depth and the antiquity of that connection between people and horses. It really is. I I, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Cave of Forgotten Dreams. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. The the Herzog movie. It's really beautiful. He has an obsession with the animals on on the walls. But just to be clear, you talk about hunting horses and eating horses and using hide and bone. Horses weren't domesticated. We don't, sort of back then when those caves, when those cave paintings were being done, it wasn't, other animals were being domesticated, pigs, dogs, whatever, but horses not, as far as I, I can understand, they were still kind of wild animals. So back when most cave paintings were done here, no animals, as far as we know, were actually domesticated. Now, there is a bit of a debate as to when the first dogs might have mm. been entering the story. But for the most part, the, the large, tasty prey animals have not really entered into that domestication relationship until around the last 10, 11,000 years or so. Okay, 
Right. When, because this is a podcast about inventions, really. And, and so we're not going to talk about who invented the horse. It was a Wednesday when we invented the horse. Yeah, it was a Wednesday. That's actually true. Is that true? Yeah. I thought it was. Yeah. I just, that was a lucky guess. <laughs> so when, but I think when we talk about the idea of inventing the horse in inverted commas, we're really talking about when, it, when we started using horses to get from A to B. And I'd always assumed the first thing we did was sort of get on their backs and away we went. But that's not true, is it? It was the, the chariot, really, was the first the first time we sort of used horses for transportation so i'll start off by this warning you and the listeners that everything that i say on this topic is probably a little controversial right i love we know we love that we we you, you we like that we like scientists who are controversial and that's good there's been a back and forth on this for decades right and folks have put forward any number of different Everybody wants their own part of the world to be the secret, like earliest domestication. So folks from Spain or Arabian Peninsula or China or anywhere where there's a modern connection to horses, probably folks have said we did it first. More recently, there's been a big effort to build that idea based on scientific data sets from from radiocarbon dating and from genomics, right? And that genetic picture has really told us that those first domestic horses popped up around 2000 BC or about 4,000 years ago in a very specific region, almost what amounts to like the Ukrainian war zone today, the steppes of kind of north of the Black Sea and adjoining the kind of Caucasus mountains there into sort of kazakhstan that sort of yeah and maybe the far edge of it kind of being the northern margins of kazakhstan what, what happened there and like why there were horses horses all over the world like what is it what, do we know is there a thing that happened that where someone went oh i know what we could do why don't we you know that that cart we've been hitching to an oxen for the last god knows how long what, what happens if we stick a horse on there for a bit of vavavoom now is when we're going to start to get in the part where I speculate on things not everyone agrees with me on. But what you've just said there is actually there, there's some there's some truth contained in your little joke there, because this area, what's special about this area and why would, you know, that have been the launch pad for that horse domestication? Well, the truth of the matter is the beginning of, in my mind, the beginning of the horse domestication story is actually not in the the western steppes of Ukraine or the Caucasus, nor is it beginning with the horse. So animal transport, in fact, kind of began in the southern Europe, Mesopotamia, eastern Mediterranean area, and it began with, as you just joked about, right, oxen, right, cattle. Earliest animal transport stuff might have been for agricultural purposes, probably came out of that situation where we've got domestic plants and domestic animals and maybe there's a way that we can make cattle do some of this stuff for us, right? Not long after that, you have the invention of the wheel, right? And so what might have started off as sledges turned into cattle carts, right? Mm -hmm. Not long after that, down in Egypt, we have the domestication of the donkey. That's really interesting you mentioned Egypt as well, because I mean, in Tutankhamun's tomb, they found chariots they found wheels and chariots so obviously i mean that was when was it? he died in was it sort of 1300 bce so yeah so we're talking about 2000 years or so before king tut here gosh okay and the donkey was the first equid that we really have evidence of being used for transport what happened is egypt ancient egypt was connected in with those eastern mediterranean mesopotamia and pretty soon we had donkeys up there as well now 
we had the donkey down in Egypt. We had cattle transport up in what you might call the Near East or the Middle East. And when those worlds came together, the first thing that happened is folks made crazy donkey carts. So there was this period of time where people have these like donkey carts pulling what amounted to like a third millennium BC tank, right? Archaeologists sometimes call them like battle cars. <laughs> you can understand why. I mean, donkeys, they're kind of, you know, they're, they're pretty rugged. They're solid. That makes a lot of sense. Maybe not the most fearsome thing you could pull a cart into battle with, right? But yeah, donkeys are, are fast and they're controllable. And you could probably do more things with donkeys than you could with cattle, right? But what happened pretty quickly after that is folks began to experiment with what else can we do here to make this a little faster or a little more efficient. And Believe it or not, they actually started creating these hybrids with what we call the wild ass, right? Sometimes called an onager or chimion. These are animals that today are not domestic animals. But there was a period of time where they were being used to pull these carts and to crossbreed them with donkeys in order to kind of make this thing work a little faster, right? And this was all before the first horses had entered the domestication sphere. And it was on the other side of the Caucasus Mountains there in kind of Western Asia. That story, I think, is an important sort of preamble or prelude to the, the horse story. That's interesting. So just to be clear, so we would have, they would have, in terms of just transport, in terms of moving people or moving stuff, we would have started with oxen, then onto sort of donkeys and then sort of crossbreeding of a donkey other types of ass and then suddenly lo and behold somebody goes wow look at that thing over there let's let's hook that up actually just before we get before we get to that there's an engineering point here as well isn't there like presumably when you're hitching your wagon to an oxen you don't have things like bridles and mouthpieces and no they they literally just use a a ring through either the nose or the lip and sometimes it's hard for us to tell so those cattle and the donkeys were being controlled with the kind of a ring and a like a line tied to a ring. Very, very simple stuff. And not a lot of nuance there in terms of what you how you can control an animal or a team of animals. So in order for horses to be brought into this transport technology, there actually had to be a couple of important innovations. They actually invented the bridle and the mouthpiece, right? Or what we call a bit. That's a new system for controlling an animal that's far more nuanced and effective than anything that existed before. The second was the spoked wheel. Right. So these big old sort of Flintstone wheels that were present on those early carts just couldn't handle the sort of speed and the forces involved in rapid horse transport. And when those inventions paired up with the horse, we see this incredible radiation of horses out of that Western Steppes area into almost every corner of ancient Eurasia. That means not just Central Europe, but Western Europe, the British Isles, Scandinavia to the east horses spread into Kazakhstan, Siberia, Central Asia, even into Mongolia, right? Can I just check, William? I mean, was anyone riding on their backs? The, the idea of, of riding a horse, like, is there evidence of early people riding horses, just sort of bareback riding about or? Yeah. So when people talk about horse transport, they often get stuck on this spot because it seems like, why don't we go to the trouble of building like a big, you know, cart system where we just hop hop on their back? Exactly. It's like riding a motorbike, you know, I do that. I and mean, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. In fact, I think what the archaeology is, is telling us is, of course, folks did from the very beginning once in a while, 
hop on an animal's back. We know folks were riding donkeys from the third millennium BC, right? Those first horses, there are a few things going on. One is that they were wild animals, right? And so I encourage those of you who have the chance to visit a park where they've got, you know, like in Europe, they have some of these Pleistocene Park type things where you can see a, a Przewalski's horse or one of these animals that's a behaviorally a good corollary for what those first wild horses might have been like. Try to go hop on its back and see what happens. Right? <laughs> I mean, well, that's the thing with horse breaking. This comes into the domestication when we, we talk about breaking in a horse. It is about sort of training it and, and making it usable. That didn't exist. <laughs> Those first horses would have been behaviorally prey animals with their largest predator being people. They're anatomically also an animal that has not been bred or conditioned to having 200 pounds right in the middle of their spinal column, right? So both behaviorally and anatomically animals that riding is not their favorite activity to have a predator clinging to their back while they flee and try to remove it. And so we see that. In fact, there is, while logically, technologically, it might be a lot simpler just to hop on an animal's back, behaviorally, the primary solution to early animal transport for going fast seems to have been the cart. And we have some examples of this playing out more recently that might help listeners kind of understand. And that would be the zebra, the zebra. These animals in the early 20th century experienced a brief it was like before motor vehicles were really um, easily accessible in most parts of the world. Folks like Western Europeans or Americans were really engaged in a lot of colonial activity in Africa where disease barriers really prevent horses from being able to survive and, and thrive. And so there was this effort to really domesticate and use zebras for transport. And we have a bunch of quite amusing historical documents that sort of chronicle the successes, but mostly failures of this effort in which folks tried to ride them and, and failed. But there, there was a bit more success in using them to pull carriages, right? And that's because it's a far more structured setup. You're not trying to sit directly on the animal's back. You have a social animal who's got their buddies with them, right? So they're a little more comfortable. And then there's just far more mechanical aspect of the control that makes it somewhat feasible. So that carriage transport is, a, is more effective at controlling animals that haven't been selected for reduced aggression or accustomed to close human contact. And so I, th I think that's what, what made that early chapter of horse transport more of a story of the chariot and the cart than of the mounted rider. We'll be back after this short break. Hi there, I'm Don Wildman, the host of the brand new podcast, American History Hit. Join me twice a week as I explore the past to help us understand the United States today. You'll hear how Codebreakers uncovered secret Japanese plans for the Battle of Midway. Visit Chief Poetin as he prepares for war with the British. See Walt Disney accuse his former colleagues of being communists and uncover the hidden history that lies beneath Central Park. From pre-colonial America to independence, slavery to civil rights, the gold rush to the space race, I'll be speaking to leading experts to delve into America's past. New episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. So join me on American History Hit, a podcast 
by History Hit. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How did the, the horse and the chariot change the world? Because presumably suddenly you've got things like armies. When we think about ancient Egypt or the ancient world, we imagined Ben-Hur and chariots and, and mil- the military uses of horses and, and carts. I mean, was it, was it a real kind of paradigm shift, the domestication of the horse, do you think? So all of a sudden, those folks who had horses have a total comparative advantage over their neighbors, right? So we see this pattern kind of playing out all across the continent where folks kind of on the edge of horse country where they had they had a bunch of horses, they had chariots, and their neighbors didn't, really messed up the ancient world. Everywhere from Egypt to India down to China, we have the toppling of dynasties in that kind of middle to late second millennium BC, where folks from the north, sometimes they were Indo-European folks and sometimes they weren't, but they what united them is they all had a lot more horses and chariots than their neighbors. So we had the Hyksos invasion of Egypt kind of toppling that old kingdom. We had down in India, we have this sort of beginning of this kind of like Indo-Aryan charioteer invasion, the collapse of this Indus Valley civilization. And in China, this incredible dynasty of the Shang dynasty really runs into the buzzsaw of the Zhou dynasty, which pulled in northern horse-based chariot army, came in and sort of toppled things Completely. I mean, really, the domestication of the horse and being able to use it like that completely changed the face of the world, changed the landscape dramatically. And it's, what's really weird is that, I mean, horses, particularly in, in battle and in, in, in a military context, is, takes you right up to the kind of First World War. <laughs> really, every, every conflict before that was done 
on horses. Horses were being involved, although we'll, we'll, I want to get onto the idea of moving from the cart to actually sitting on the horse. Because there's, for me, the kind of great bit of technology that really changed everything was the not even the saddle, but the stirrup. The fact that you could actually put your feet in, in the stirrups and that would give you balance and control and you could sort of stand up from it a bit. I mean, it meant you could ride a lot faster. You could hold things like weapons and, and that type of thing. Yeah, so we... The story of people and horses is really one of this sort of pulses, right? Where it's like, first we had the chariot and then it was like this wave of a chaos for some folks. Then you had folks really getting good at cavalry and, and mounted riding. In the in the first millennium BC, there was another sort of wave of step-induced destruction where folks that could raise a lot of horses and were really good at controlling their horses on horseback, even in combat or high-stress situations, really became the center of sort of geopolitical power in many ways, right? And you get the emergence of these big kind of grassland-centered empires along the lines of the Mongol Empire, but really dating back to the first millennium BC when we have groups like the Xiongnu based in the Mongolian steppes. Who are they? Who are they? Uh, Mongolian so the Xiongnu, probably to, to listeners, it might be more familiar as like the bad guys in the movie Mulan, the Disney movie. Never seen it. Do I need to see it? I mean, it can be your homework here for this episode is you know, watch Mulan and try to think, put yourself in the shoes of the bad guys. There you go. And the step was really driving a lot of that innovation and the ability to do more on horseback. And that first thousand years or so of folks riding horses, they were really holding on with their knees. They've got a simple soft pad under their rear end and Horse combat was like primarily archery stuff, Mm. right? It wasn't the jousting that we might think of today. And you're right that it was that invention of, paired invention of a frame saddle that really allows you to put a lot of weight on a suspended stirrup. That was another one of these pulses and waves of primarily radiating out of that East Asia and the steppe where it's like, oh man, these folks can do a lot more in their mounted combat. We have some work that's coming out here in just a couple of months, hinting that that first innovation of the saddle and stirrup might have actually had something to do with the Mongolian steppe. So we had the oldest radiocarbon dated saddle and some of the oldest stirrup technology coming out of East Asia and the Mongolian steppe there. It's really interesting how such a simple piece of technology, you don't even think of it really as, as an important piece of technology in the history of human <laughs> culture and civilization but it really is in fact i seem to remember i remember james burke who's a british historian who did lots of television programs in the 70s and 80s a big hero of mine i seem to remember he did, he had a series called connections and and the stirrup was one of those great bits of technology he talked about that changed the face of civilization in kind of ways that, I don't know, AI is going to change civilization now for us. The stirrup back then was the was the thing. Yeah, I think the stirrup's a lot easier to, for people like me to wrap your head around than, than AI. I'm not really sure what's, stirrup, what's I happening. Just, I can just <laughs> chat GPT, I'm a bit struggle with, but the stirrup, I'm like, yeah, that'll do for my mechanical brain. Yes, I mean, we see that it totally changed the kinds of combat that folks could do on horseback. So as allow you to do this kind of heavy brace yourself in the seat and in many ways sort of kicked off this, what we think of as the knights in shining armor type system in in Europe, but pretty much everywhere it went, that stirrup gave folks who were incorporating it a pretty ferocious advantage in 
on the battlefield, at least when horses were involved. It's really weird. You know, I mentioned at the beginning, I'm really rubbish riding horses. I always think, you know, when you, you, you're driving a car or riding a motorcycle, you've got things like brakes and steering and it all kind of works. And you have to take your car or your motorcycle to get, and certainly in the UK, an MOT test. You've got to get it checked to make sure it's roadworthy. I'm always like baffled when I see people riding horses, particularly on kind of the road. I'm like, how on earth is that thing allowed on the road? It's like, it doesn't do what it's told. The brakes don't work. It's... It's kind of a crazy thing. I mean, in many ways, it's probably it's like the original self self driving car, right? It's like you got a self driving is the right word. <laughs> it's like yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm I, yeah, I have I have terrible horse fear. The other thing I really wondered about is like, how come other higher primates have never used lesser in inverted commas heavy, heavy inverted animals for their own? Why have other creatures not domesticated and why don't you see a chimp riding a goat for example well i think there's a there, that sounds like a dumb question but i, I sort of worry about it there's a, i think there's a lot of pieces to that question the first is that we actually there actually are domestication ish relationships in the animal kingdom right? there are i know there are i know there like are with like ants, birds and, right? and ants yeah yeah but i mean kind of riding <laughs> animal transport is a definitely a unique aspect of the human story that separates our own story from many others in the animal kingdom. I think many folks might take issue with the characterization of lesser, right? That's why I did my heavy inverted commas. Yeah, yeah, okay. I did very heavy underlined. There's definitely an extraordinary amount of control that's gone into that relationship. And I think one of the precursors in my mind seems to be grain agriculture, right? Or folks being able to provide something first to those animals, horses are getting something out of the deal too, right? They're getting protection from predators. But really, the beginning of animal transport in many ways relates to being able to feed and protect those animals first, right? And out of that level of sort of cohabitation and living together, there develops the ability to ask more of the other organism there. And so I think from in my mind that's probably the difference is we have never seen any chimps raising and domesticating plants and probably they need to be able to feed their goats something before you ever see a, a chimp riding a goat. William, it's been an absolute pleasure. I, I want to sort of, I've got so many questions I want to ask you, but I'm going to let you go. What can I just ask just f for you, what was what's the most exciting thing that you have learned about the domestication of the horse? Like what, maybe the most surprising thing? That the thing that's that's been most striking for me is that every time, every corner of the world that we've tried to use archaeology to understand parts of that human horse story, what we tend to uncover is that horses and the, the speed at which they've sort of been integrated into or impacted ancient societies is absolutely shocking. That's interesting. And I think it really speaks to the extraordinary significance of that relationship that it's almost like lightning in the archaeological record whenever it happens. It truly is the, a testament to the significance of that partnership that everywhere horses have connected into a new part of the world, new set of cultures and people, that that integration has been extraordinarily rapid. Fantastic. William, thank you very much for coming onto the show. It's been fascinating. Hey, and we didn't even do the why the long face joke. Hey, we can save it for next time. There we go. That's everything you wanted to know about horses. 
and more. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for your company. I do hope you're enjoying the series. If you're listening to the series, please do tell your friends and family and horses. And and thank you very much for your company. Don't forget to get in touch if you've got a suggestion for a topic that we should cover a story, uh, an idea, a piece of technology, something else. You can email us at patented at historyhit.com or give me a prod on Twitter or Instagram or the usual channels. And I look forward to your company next time. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch. Download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes, or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code Patented at the checkout, you get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.